beyond infinity. Piers Cunningham and John Young talking science and technology on Beyond Infinity. John, I thought I'd, I'd mentioned Venus. Uh, I haven't uh, haven't done a, a kind of space-related story for a while, and there has been some interesting news in recent months about the planet Venus. Mm. Well, the thing that's sparked the interest has been that a couple of Earth-based telescopes, uh, one in Chile and another in Hawaii, have come back with the finding of phosphine in the atmosphere, in the upper atmosphere, in fact, uh, 55 kilometres high or above that blisteringly hot surface of Venus. And the thing that's interesting to people is that it is a potential biomarker. In, and in other words, it, it is suggestive of you know, possible life. Because it's formed out of what, some sort of bacteria or some kind of you know, biological process, is that right? It can be, but there are other ways that it can be formed as well. In fact, it's, it's normally found in the atmospheres of gas giants. It's a phosphorus and hydrogen molecule Venus previously has been written off as a place where you're really unlikely to find life, or at least life that's anything like we could imagine. The Russian landers that have sent back the only images that we have of the surface of Venus show that it really is a a hellish place. I mean, if you think Mars is sort of a barren, frozen, uninviting, uh, frozen desert, then uh, then Venus is um, is is just off the charts. You know, you'd, you'd much rather be going to Mars than to Venus. Mm. Uh, it, it's 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 uh, the the surface temperature is 460 degrees Celsius. It's got active volcanism spewing uh, noxious chemicals into the atmosphere, and it has a surface pressure that's a hundred times the surface pressure on Earth. So you would be crushed by the atmosphere. One of the reasons why we've got so little information, surface information, and, and uh, images is that the longest any probe has survived on the surface is about an hour, maybe maybe a couple of hours. These were these Russian landers, the Veneras, which would built kind of like diving bells, you know, to survive that crushing atmosphere. You, you really oh, yeah. had to reinforce, and that meant, that meant that they were very heavy. So the emphasis was really on just sort of reinforcing the shell of these things against the heat and pressure rather than being able to spend a lot of payload weight on instruments. But they do have some reasonably good res- resolution images of the surface. And as I said, it just looks just rocky and, and hellish. So it's always because of those uh, that really harsh environment, you know, sulfuric acid rain is another thing that's not particularly inviting about Venus. All those characteristics mean that it's it's never really been seen as a, a likely place to find life. So the discovery of phosphine in the upper atmosphere at 55 kilometres above the surface by those two Earth-based telescopes is exciting. Life or some kind of anaerobic, in other words, non-oxygen breathing uh, bacteria or, or microbe um, could possibly be floating in the upper atmosphere of Venus and part of its metabolism could be producing this chemical phosphine, which we're seeing. But there are other non-life-related explanations for phosphine, which we may not know about, but it's, 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 it's not the only way you can explain phosphine it was in too, the atmosphere. It was too abundant, wasn't it, for being, you know, some, you know, delivered there by a meteorite, for example. It, it, it was, there was so much phosphine that was actually discovered that they concluded that it had to have been from Venus itself that had been generated rather than brought in from elsewhere. 
I think that is right, but it doesn't. That still doesn't necessarily mean that it's being generated by life. So there could be chemical processes. There could be things that that you know that we don't fully understand about how phosphine can be produced. But obviously, the reason why social media has jumped all over this, it's been a there's been a huge amount of hype following mention of this back in September from those telescopes and reporting that the, the finding, the instant headline grabbing story is that oh you know this is this is the sign of life where we least to at least least expected to find it. But one one of the things that supports that view is that while the surface is potentially uninhabitable and unlikely to support life, certainly as we can envisage it, the upper atmosphere is cooler and doesn't have such high pressure. And we know from on Earth that microbes can do survive in Earth's atmosphere right up to the edge of space, even beyond. So it is possible that microbial life may have developed in an earlier era before Venus had that, that runaway greenhouse effect Mm-hmm. Uh, which which is which is made at this uh, super hot inhospitable so that, yeah. yeah inhospitable very very thick atmosphere so it, it it traps heat it's not able to radiate heat out so it's trapping heat from the sun it's closer to the, the to the sun than the earth so it's getting more radiant heat from the sun it's getting trapped in that thick heavily carbon dioxide atmosphere which has got a little bit of nitrogen and a few slight traces of water present but otherwise a very different atmosphere to what we have on earth and it's not able to to release heat out into space and and that's what causes this very very high surface temperature hotter than molten lead on the surface of venus it's a weird place I mean, considering it's a terrestrial planet with a rocky surface, we know a lot more about Mercury, which has had an orbiter, the Messenger orbiter, mm-hmm. studied and then actually was deliberately crash-landed on the surface of, of Mercury and really revolutionised our understanding and gave us that fundamental data set that's required to understand a planet. We also have that for Mars because we've got orbiters of various rovers and, and surface landers on Mars, so we know a lot more about Mars, uh, another terrestrial planet, with a rocky surface than we do with Venus. So we're missing a fundamental data set for Venus. And there's things that we don't understand. I mean, a year on Venus is shorter than a day. It rotates backwards. We don't fully understand what processes caused that. Another object that's strange is, is um, Uranus. It's been suggested that Uranus was slammed into, it actually points one of its poles at the sun. So it looks like it's been knocked off its axis. Mm. That hasn't, that hasn't, that's not what's the suggestion to explain Venus. But how do you explain the fact that it ro- rotates backwards and a year is shorter than a day. Um, yeah. There's some strange things there, and so it's, it's not fully understood. So we do need to go back there to get more information. The last proper mission there was Magellan, which went into orbit in the early 90s. It had a, um, a radar mapper, so it was actually able to peer through the thick atmosphere and map the surface and give us an idea of the topography, and, and it's where we've got the you know most of our information we have about the geography and, and geology and active volcanism that's suspected to be um, happening on Venus is from uh, from that Magellan mission. But since then, there's been nothing there. I mean, there is a Japanese orbiter that's that's uh, that's it is in orbit around Venus at the moment, and it's it's possible that it may be able to indirectly contribute to our understanding of this phosphine that's that's been found in the atmosphere. It, it's not specifically designed to look for phosphine but it's possible it may be able to indirectly detect it it's not in a a circular orbit it's in a big looping elliptical orbit and so when it when it flies in close we can have a look then Uh, there's another spacecraft bepi colombo which is going to fly past venus in the next few months so it will probably be tasked with having a look at the 
atmosphere and seeing if it can confirm the what the ground-based telescopes in Hawaii and Chile have found that measurement that they've made of phosphine they want to confirm it they want a second opinion if you like on that sure. on that finding but as i said it's, it'll be a big surprise if there is life on venus really i think if hard. anything the last you know the last decade the last 20 years has proven that we hear discoveries almost monthly now where it's another planet um, or potential planet with, uh, you know, conditions that would be suitable for life is then reported on. So, you know, we've looked far and it's good to see that we are still looking close, at, you know, within our uh, local uh, area to find potential signs of life. Does I look at this and I think, well, I mean, obviously we're not going to be you know, finding little creatures walking around or, you know, anything that's got a skeletal structure, but potentially there is some kind of microbiology that's happening somewhere in there. And as you mentioned before, somewhere high up in the uh, atmosphere, would it be possible for it to be underground, under the rocks, you know, deep within well, the core? Look, kind maybe, of maybe, maybe. I mean, who, really, who knows? And, and if it was, it'd have to be a pretty hardy life form because it's surviving, um, you know, very, very crushing atmosphere and uh, and and also super high temperatures but we also mm. we do know i mean you're right to say that life is very adaptable and we know on earth in these uh, very deep parts of the ocean where there's there's vents releasing uh, chemicals and and heat from within the planet you get these colonies of extremophiles that are using chemosynthesis rather than photosynthesis mm. to grow you don't need to have light from the sun as the source to generate growth and to to fuel those kind of worm-like things that are growing around these um, these deep sea vents that, that are known about. They've been photographed and they're well documented. Extremophiles can, can survive that kind of high pressure. Maybe there's there's extremophiles that can, can survive the super high pressure and very high temperature on the surface of Venus, maybe under a rock or maybe down a crack or even on the surface where we haven't looked. We, we don't know much about the surface. We've never had rovers. As I said, the Russians who've landed there, that was years ago. It was back in the 80s that they were landing veneers there. And, and the photos aren't super high quality. Uh, I think in one, one famous unlucky case, the camera lens that was designed to pop off I think it landed on, on top of um, a sensor uh, on the surface, so it's just really unlucky. Yeah, uh, so, right. so our information about the surface is very sketchy, and so we, we haven't seen everywhere. We've, and, and it's the same with Mars. I mean, we, but we have driven around on Mars, and, and because there's no atmosphere on Mars, we can get very we get a lot of um, you know high res imagery from orbit which show us what the surface is like. We haven't got that. We haven't got that for Venus at all. There is a mission that's proposed. It's a JPL mission. It's going to be called Veritas. That stands for Venus Emissivity Radio Science Inside Topography and Spectroscopy. That is going to map with high resolution the surface of the planet It'll uh, look for the look at the topography, use near infrared spectroscopy and radar image data to increase our knowledge of Venus's tectonic and impact history. So, did you did you say that spelling was Veritas, as in V E R I T A S? Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's that's uh, the uh, Latin for truth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it's just one of those acronyms that they like, you know, uh, yeah, that yeah. They, they, they love in uh, Messenger for, for Mercury is another mega acronym that uh, that they like. USA is an acronym. Yes. The instruments that are on this, on this proposed mission, there's quite a bit of detail about it and good planning, but it hasn't yet gone into sort of production and, you know, a launch date set or anything like that at this stage. But one instrument is the uh, Venus Emissivity Mapper. So look at emissions, uh, map the surface uh, using six spectral bands in five atmospheric windows that would see through the clouds. That would be provided by the German Aerospace Centre. Visor, Venus 
inferometric synthetic aperture radar would generate global data sets for topography down to a 250 meter by 5 meter accuracy and image down to 30 meter resolution with targeted resolution of 15 meters. And that would create the first planetary active surface deformation map. So showing those changes that are likely to be caused by volcanism. Gravity science instrument would, would investigate variations in Venus's gravitational field. It would actually use the spacecraft telecom system. So it's uh, the way it communicates with Earth would be used to map gr the gravity strength. So in other words, those signals, see how they're affected by the planet's gravity and then provide uniform resolution of better than 160 kilometers. Mm. Uh, so look, you know, that, that one's a, a bit of a down-the-track kind of mission, but they are being planned, and uh, we, we're probably going to have to wait for that. We might get some more info from uh, Bepi Colombo, which is due to fly past on its way to Mercury. Bepi Colombo will fly past in the next few months. It's going to fly past Venus, so they might get some extra data there. Maybe that Japanese orbiter will be able to shed some more light on this discovery of phosphine which is basically a phosphorus and hydrogen molecule it is a potential biomarker but i think it's really too early to say that it's a um, possible sign of life at this stage. yeah perhaps we don't know or don't understand the biological pro or the, the processes that have created that to you know with our knowledge of chemistry maybe there's something else uh hopeful that there is a potential life but we'll um have to wait and see yeah, and look, you know, and eventually we're going to get this data. It might be in fifty years' time, it might be in a hundred years' time, but eventually yes. we're going to we're going to be able to say, well, okay, well, actually, it turns out that life's really common, and uh, and these little biomarkers that we were looking at turned out to be, you know, if they were true, they were they were you know, people were correct to suspect life forms. Finding microbial life anywhere in the solar system is going to really ramp up the idea that life's actually, I mean, it will show that life is potentially really common. And there's places we want to go to, we've talked about in the past in this program, uh, Enceladus out at Saturn, uh, there's a mission to Titan, and there's Europa Clipper, which is going to study the moon of Jupiter called Europa, that's believed to have a subsurface ocean, and it's another place that we, you know, it's on the short list of places to look for life. So if any one of these comes through and can be confirmed, then uh, then I think all these little telltale hopeful signs that we, we have now of life would suddenly there'd be uh, a lot more certainty or a lot more interest in confirming them and more impetus to sending the spacecraft to make those observations. But also just, I mean, it really would increase the likelihood. You know, if we can find it in one place beyond Earth, then that is suggestive that, uh, that it's quite widespread more abundant than we thought yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is there an opportunity to to turn any of this phosphine into fuel in any way i mean i'm not my chemistry was never a strong suit it was actually very weak but do we know anything about the use of phosphine in um you know would would one of the other than a mission to find out what to confirm it's there would we be then sending up um you know mining activity to actually harvest it in, in any particular way i'm not sure that i think it's quite toxic actually. Yeah, right. I'm not sure what we'd be wanting to use it for. There's a lot of carbon dioxide in, in um, Venus's atmosphere. That's what the principal constituent is, carbon dioxide, which, as we know, you know, like plants absorb carbon dioxide and release oxygen. Mm. So, I mean, maybe there'd be a way that we could actually, uh, you know, we could, we, could, we could extract carbon dioxide um, from the atmosphere, have it, um, you know, feed it to plants we've got on board our biosphere, our little bubble that we're, we're living in, and, and then create oxygen that way. I mean, I don't know. 
the bigger issues for Venus is that it's it's just got that super hot, crushing atmosphere, you know, sulfuric acid rain, very, very harsh environment, much harsher mm. than Mars. So I think that if we're going to go anywhere, some people have studied Mars for years, say, oh, you know, well, we, we don't want to go there. It's, it's a frozen desert. Well, compared with Venus, it's uh, looking positively <laughs> welcoming. Um, there is and why not a- go to a place that's a bit more of a frozen desert, which is easier to live than try to go somewhere we've never done before we've never you know we've never put man on another body other than the moon why do we go to the harshest place why don't just try to get to the easier places first and accomplish that and then yeah, absolutely to the, to exactly yeah. i mean that's cut your teeth you know, surviving on the on mars and and then and then from well in fact probably first on the moon that's the, the plan is to go back to the moon in fact it'll be a separate podcast but nasa has announced details of its plan quite a bit of information about its exact plans for artemis so the return to the moon which is supposed to happen within the next you know within the next five years uh, I don't know whether you know the pandemic may uh, may well impact on that timetable but quite a bit of details being released on exactly how they're going to do that one part of it is to uh, go into orbit around the moon so you know cut your teeth first with getting people back to the moon uh, yes master, master that that with the hardware required and the technology required then use that same technology to get to Mars I think that makes sense and then maybe after that you might look at uh, a mission uh, back to to Venus. You'd need to have a lot more robotic data that's, that's gathered by robotic missions to Venus before you, you risk sending people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty harsh place. But there's been people theorizing about uh, life on the surface of Venus for for years. It's a bit like there was, you know, in the early days, um, you know, they, they were looking through telescopes and they could see these streaks on Mars and they're saying, oh, they're canals. There's civilization. You can see these canals that they've got irrigation on the surface of Mars. Well, they turned out to be they weren't um, canals at all. They were just, you know, like gorges or Valles Marinaris, which is a, a, a massive canyon system, much bigger and deeper than the Grand Canyon that runs around the equator of, of Mars. So they weren't looking at canals. They were looking at other objects. And the same mm. thing applied with Venus over the years. People were thinking, oh, there'll be, uh, you know, because Venus is the, the you know, it's the, the planet of love. In Greek mythology, Venus was the goddess of love. Um, so people are saying, oh, it's a nice warm climate there. It'll be, you know, this is back in the 1920s and stuff. People were theorizing about life on Venus. And then just to wrap it up, there was a nice quote about the mystery of life on other planets. Apparently, years ago, the newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst cabled an astronomer asking for an article on the topic of, is there life on Mars? Please cable 1,000 words. The astronomer who he'd contacted cabled him back saying, nobody knows, repeat 500 times. (laughs) So we don't know. That was back in that was back in the early 1900s. We don't know. There's a lot to know about Venus. I think it is a fascinating planet. It is kind of a twin of Earth in a way. Uh, it's about the same size. It may have had a, a much more habitable history in its distant past, billions of years ago, before that runaway greenhouse climate effect took hold. And the other thing is that that in itself is a bit of a warning for the Earth. If you know we, we, we've been thinking about climate change more and more, and and uh, how we need to act. Well, if you want us a, a warning of what can happen, look at Venus because it is mm. a runaway runaway greenhouse effect with uh, that massive quantities of uh, the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide. There are some salutary lessons in, in what's happened to Venus over the years, but nevertheless, a really interesting place to study in its own right. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.